Welcome to the Guardian Podcast with Ren Melberg. My name is Harold Nickel. What are the qualities of the best coaches or teachers that you've ever had? Do those same qualities make for good, agile, and scrum coaches? And are you a candidate for a coaching role in agile or scrum? To help us answer those and other questions is the Guardian herself, Ren Melberg. And Ren, like I asked at the beginning, generally speaking, what are some of the qualities of a good coach? Well, a good Agile coach, um, regardless of what area of Agile they specialize in, Mm -hmm. um, is going to really know their practices well, how to recognize them. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the difference between people saying they're doing Agile and people doing Agile. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to help the people they're coaching learn the fundamentals so that they can self-correct. Um, so that's that's ultimately the goal of any coach. And that's why we're coaches, right? Mm-hmm. We're not trainers. We're coaches. Because okay. um, one, we're focused on behavior and outcomes. Trainers and teachers are focused on learning. Do you know the material? Right. Right. But coaches are looking at behaviors and outcomes. And ultimately, coaches are trying to coach themselves out of a job. I want you to get to a point where you understand this and you have enough self-awareness as an individual or as a team that you don't need your coach anymore. That's a good word. Coach yourself right out of a role because everybody knows it so well. In in this, but the self awareness is you shouldn't subtract that from the equation. Okay. Because people can know agile really well, mm-hmm. but not be self aware enough to know when they're doing it well. Okay. And there's a lot of people who just heard me say that, who are coaches, who mm. went, oh, tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> there are people who are listening to our scrum teams and went, huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why doing a team doing their own retrospective is only going to get them so far. Okay. Okay. Self-awareness is probably one of the hardest human skills to develop. Oh, man. Um. Yes, I mean, uh, there's some folks that you just shake your head and and wonder at the lack of self-awareness. And even even for myself, as wonderful and likable as I am sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> lack self-awareness. So right. when we hear the word coach, you know, more often than not, we're going to think sports. But, but what mm-hmm. you're talking about here is is more like leadership, right? Servant leadership, but most Agile coaches aren't, like, in a traditional leadership role. Okay. They are very much a sports coach in that regard. Their job is, just like a sports coach, you know, uh, know, if you're, you know, my heart, if you (laughs) were the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings, Mm -hmm. your job isn't to boss these incredibly talented, high-performing, expensive people around. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Your job is to work with them to get their best performance out of them. Huh. That's so well said. 
And that's the job of coaches. You know, we don't tell the people we're coaching what to do. Uh We're deliberately consultants in that regard. Because remember, we're not training in in trainers or teachers. Uh We're not going to give you a test. You're not going to fill in the blanks and spit back the right answers. Uh We're coaches. So we can explain to you the science. We can explain to you the art. We, you know, we can give you all the tools you need, but right. you have to choose to do the work. We can't do the work for you. Mm-hmm. Just to sort of stretch the sports analogy a little further, is it, I mean, at least my experience has been that the best coaches were the ones who stressed the fundamentals. And I guess, or wonder, is the same thing true for Agile and Scrum? Absolutely. Um, the important part, and this is kind of, um, I like to think is a differentiator between, uh, you know, what makes a good versus what makes a great agile mm-hmm. or scrum coach, is a good one will tell you what you're supposed to do. Here, you know, here are the fundamental practices of scrum, or here's the fundamental practices of XP or lean, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. Kanban. Right. <clears throat> a great coach will explain to you the science behind it. Uh So they will add some teaching, but teaching in a way for you to really be able to internalize why they're asking you to do these specific behaviors in this specific way. Okay. That makes perfectly good sense. In in, in what I'm, because I coach coaches. Mm -hmm. Right, (laughs) sure. We've talked about that a lot, right. you and I personally, not on the podcast, but right, um, right, yeah. when I talk to them, what I always say is, lead with the why. And they go, wait a minute, isn't that what we tell people to do with user stories? Yes. Why do we tell people to do so with user stories? And the coaches say back to me, because the why is the most important question. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're coaching, the why is the most important quote question too. Okay. And most coaches are more comfortable with the what. Mm-hmm. This is what you have to do, right? Um, but if we really are coaching our teams so that they can learn this really well and are self-aware and can course correct themselves, so that continuous improvement loop, right? Mm-hmm. Then they need to understand the why. Why do we do these specific things. Why do we write user stories the way we write user stories? Why do we write user stories at all? Right? Mm -hmm. The best people, the best writers of user stories understand why we write user stories. The best practitioners of Kanban understand why we use Kanban, etc. Right. Right. I've read a lot lately about the value of one-on-one teaching and there seems to be a lot of commerce in the tutoring business for school students, is the same style of one-on-one coaching a good practice for agile coaching? Sometimes, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Whenever I'm working with an organization, um, I usually am doing 
one-on-one coaching and mentoring, at least with the um, executive sponsor of the transformation, or I do a lot of coaching with executives, the C-suite primarily. Um, If their behavior, and the reason why I focus on them is because their behavior has the greatest impact to the organization. So if your CIO or your CFO or CEO don't change their expectations around governance and reporting when you go to an agile transformation, then Mm -hmm. everything reverts back to waterfall or you get some version of scum or fall, right? And that's not helpful. Then you're not getting your behaviors, therefore you won't get your agile outcomes. Um, And that often requires one-on-one mentoring and coaching. Um, That should, every coach should have that open with whatever group of people they're working with. I'm thinking of, you know, a business analyst that was on a scrum team that I coached, the one I told you about, the most successful, highest-performing team I've ever coached. Um, She was a business analyst, and in the beginning she was just really had her heels dug in and wasn't changing and then she flipped a switch and was just full bore and I had one-on-one meetings with her during that and got to see this wonderful transformation and now she's a very successful scrum master and she loves it. Outstanding. And that's part of our jobs is coaches not to be um, out there evangelizing which a lot of coaches do, mm-hmm. um, that, that's not necessarily the role of a coach to be selling mm-hmm. agile. Um, often being salesy um, takes away from people's willingness to listen to you as a coach, so it's mm-hmm. a careful line. Um, that's one of the reasons why I revert to the science. Oh, yeah. Because when you talk about the science, it doesn't sound like you're doing a sales job, right? <laughs> right, that's exactly right. Um, but and that's that's part of the the that's one of those you know lines that we walk because it's easy as a coach to sound evangelical. Sure. And that tends to turn people off. So, you know, we have to be a little careful about that. Um, But also that's where one-on-one coaching can help you. Um, If you feel like you're having to really sell this to one particular person on a team or in the organization, Uh then you can have that conversation one-on-one. And it's more about helping them through the change or understand how their, their life is different now. Uh-huh. And it can sound less salesy than where you're trying to have that same conversation with someone, one person in front of a group of people. It, they're already on board, and so they're just like, "Why are you selling this to us?" Right, right. It's, it's um, yeah. It's the role of, like you said, science. The empiricism takes the pitch pitchiness out of it, right? Right. And also taking it out of a group setting into a one-on-one can take that out of it, too. Okay. You don't sound like you're pitching it. Um, and, and so that one-on-one coaching and mentoring should be 
part of your your tool set that you bring um, as a coach. Okay. Now, is there um, a path, you know, a, a career path to becoming a coach in Agile and Scrum? Um, not officially. Okay. Um, it, it isn't an official profession yet. Okay. Um, and there's some inconsistencies. Uh, so, for instance, Scrum often uh, blurs the... Scrum master, or I shouldn't say often, but sometimes blurs the line between scrum master and coach mm-hmm. and treats them as the same role. I will tell you just, this is the most definitive probably going to be about this, but a scrum master coach cannot coach their own team oh. because it's that same lack of self-awareness. A okay. scrum master does a certain amount of coaching, obviously, because they're the scrum master, they're the master of scrum. Uh-huh. But what happens when they start to be more of that coach role, which remember, by definition, a coach is not on the team, right? Right. right. <laughs> you would not have the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings lining up on the offensive line. That would be a problem, right? That if you think about problem. Agile in the same way, Oh, you would not analogy. have your coach on a scrum team or on a combine team, et cetera, right. on any agile team. Okay? They should be outside because they're providing that mirror image back into the team to help them with their own self-awareness. It's like um, you write a lot. Yes. You know for a fact that no person can edit their own writing. That's exactly right. It's impossible, uh-huh. right? It's impossible. And it's the same thing. A scrum master can really work with their team on their individual scrum practices and what's going on the team and make sure they do retrospectives and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But can they actually reflect back the performance of the entire team? No. Mm. No. That would take an extraordinary amount of self-awareness that human beings are not built for. Okay. Now, um... Given that there's not necessarily a formal path to becoming a coach, what do you think are the the steps involved for becoming a coach in Agile and Scrum? Sure. The most formal, if you will, um, is uh, SAFE, the Scaled Agile Framework for Enterprises. Okay. Um, They have um, a certification for program consultants. That's the closest you're going to get to someone, you know, at, at an enterprise level with a coach certification. Mm-hmm. If a person doesn't at least have that, um, you know, if you're looking for a safe coach, you, you probably were going to want someone to be an SPC. Okay. Um, in, in a one in, in, that's in good standing, that's current, you know, so they're keeping up with the latest changes in the science, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, on the scrum side, um, there is a certified coach and a certified trainer mm-hmm. um, from the Scrum Alliance. So there are some out there. What's difficult is coaching, the actual skills of being a good coach mm-hmm. are all soft skills. Listening, um, 
being able to discern the difference between words and behavior, really understanding the impact of behavior, so being able to assess causality. Mm-hmm. These are these are difficult um, to teach, uh, and that's why most coaches come up through an internship, usually informal. Okay. So they've been on a scrum team. They've had a coach that was really good that they admired. Mm-hmm. So they worked with that coach to get mentoring and coaching for themselves. This is starting from sound familiar because this is how I came up through <laughs> this. Is how that's me, <laughs> and I've done this with other people. This is the most common, um, and that's why you know one of the things that agile coaches get accused of is name dropping. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's not because we're name dropping; we're giving credit to the people who coached us and mentored us and taught us things over the years. Okay. Okay. Um, because that's how we've become good at our roles, you know. Um, and some of it is on the job, too. I mean, I'll be honest with you. The very first time I coached executive on Agile, oh, my boots were knocking and my teeth were chattering. I was scared. Right. And I had to really think, okay, when I was in, and I literally did this, when I was in his job, what would I want to hear? Huh. What would I need to know? And I was really honest with him, too. And this is where it's hard being a coach is your own professional transparency with the people you're coaching. That's really hard. And being and willing to put your ego aside and put yourself out there. And I said to him, I'll be honest with you, this is the first time I've been on this side of the desk. Mm, okay. So if I say anything that doesn't make sense or I say something that doesn't ring quite right with you, let me know. Be honest. Tell me. Yeah, that was uh, maybe a little bit risky or maybe devoted to your transparency value, confessing confessing that. But I've seen so many – the most successful coaches I've seen are willing to do that. Okay. Are willing to say, I don't know let's see, are willing to do an experiment with their team, um, are willing, you know, I, I, I'm thinking some of the, the smartest practices, best practices that have developed over the years was because the coach was willing to say, I don't know, let's see. Hmm. And work with their team to, to put together an experiment and see how it works. A lot of XP came around, you know, the extreme programming practices happened hmm. that way. Right. It wasn't that somebody had a beautiful epiphany and, you know, it was written down in stone and it's like, oh, <laughs> you know, angels were singing and <laughs> and we had XP, right? No, this is trial and error and experiments and, and there were a lot of failures and there were really substantive successes and now we call those best practices. Um that's the thing with Agile, and that's the, probably the hardest thing about being an Agile coach is being an Agile coach, is that yeah. what you're doing as a coach, everything you're doing as a coach should follow the Agile principles. Okay. okay. And that means discernment, right? That right. means understanding causality. That means understanding, being transparent. That means for as a coach 
the outcomes, the success of the team is way more important than you. Right. Yeah. yeah such your ego aside. You know, and these, yeah. and that's why really good coaches are hard to find. Yes. And, you know, should be valued. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, that's right. There are a lot of people out there, you know, and this is a new, like I said, we don't have the professional standards because this is new. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people who use that. And really, you know, what they're doing is they're parroting back what, you know, what, whatever agile discipline they come from tells them. And that's why they come across as purists. That's why they come across as evangelists, mm-hmm. right? Because right. they're really not into that role yet where they're truly coaching. Okay. They're still trying to train. Yeah. And you did such a nice job of explaining the the difference earlier between those two. So, you know, knowing that Agile and Scrum teams are self-directed, is the coach of the team self-selected or do you have to be asked or appointed somehow? Usually um, coaches come from a central pool. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll work with all the teams within their area. So I mentioned mm-hmm. that I have been working with a marketing team. Mm-hmm. I worked with all the teams within marketing, right? Right. And there's usually more than one coach in an organization that big. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that organization right. was, what, seven or $8 billion. Um, yeah. And I think we had six or seven coaches, but not all the teams were agile at the time. Okay. And so what we would do is one coach would stand up the teams. You know, that's the original initiation of putting, bringing the team together, training them, getting them, doing all the practices, sitting with them on a daily basis until they've got the basics going and then another coach would come in and do the first assessment Mm -hmm. okay and you know typically i try to have more than one coach work with a team okay it's really in the team's best interest they get different perspectives also different coaches are going to see different things okay right right um and the one that I mentioned before, or actually I don't think I did, but I, there's one at that organization. He had really, really strong XP uh-huh. that we were trying to introduce to the Agile teams with their marketing. Uh-huh. I was bringing in additional Kanban, um, and I, Kanban in addition to SAFE. And we traded. We went back and forth. Um, because he was better at coaching him in XP and I was better at coaching him in a Kanpa. We also would watch each other and so we could learn from each other. So oh. my XP practices are much stronger having worked with him. His Kanban practices are much stronger having worked with me. Yeah. Um, and, and that's one of the advantages to companies who can... Um, have a pool of coaches 
is, you know, there's so much in Agile, no one can specialize in it at all. It's not possible. Uh-huh. It, it almost be trying to be a neurosurgeon and a cardiac surgeon and, you know, and, you know, I'm trying to think of another specialty, but, you know, <laughs> an orthopedic surgeon, right? Uh, there's yeah. only one person could specialize in all those things. Agile is similar. Uh-huh. Um, so it's really helpful for the coaches to be coached uh-huh. and to be able to lean on each other and mentor one another. Right. And, you know, back to the Minnesota Vikings, they've got a running backs coach and a line coach and special teams, et cetera. Right. So, and they have and, conditioning coaches and yeah, I mean, exactly. It's a perfect analogy. That's why we yeah. call it, That's why we use it. Yeah. It's not a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <It's not. laughs> So you told us um, a few minutes ago that there really wasn't a formal path to becoming a coach, but is Not there... currently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but is there some kind of certification or recognition before you can actually be called coach? Not officially, no. Okay. The only ones, the Scrum Alliance has developed a coach certification, but really they're the only ones. Um, and that, like I said, is limited to Scrum, mm-hmm. which doesn't include XP and Kanban and Safe and all the, you know, and there's a, there's a list lean, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a very focused certification. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really also is very focused on knowing Scrum. Um, so one of the criticisms of the Agile community is that unlike, um, other teaching, training, coaching professions, Mm -hmm. there isn't a process to certify that someone actually knows how to teach, train, or coach, and there isn't an assessment to determine, you know, to factually prove that someone knows how to teach, train, or coach. That is correct. Okay. Um, So really, what I look at when I'm assessing coaches, what my clients look at when they're assessing me, Uh um, are really the outcomes of the the teams or or the organizations or the people. Um, That's really all that right now um, we can assess. Okay. So let's say somebody's leading an organization and they're looking for candidates to become coaches. What should they be looking for? Should be looking for experience, I would say, in a variety of Agile disciplines. Um, If someone only knows one, you know, unless you've gone 100% into that one discipline, um, that may be limiting for you. Okay, okay. And for your teams, you want to listen for in the interview if their enthusiasm and how they express their enthusiasm. Are they expressing it in um, in rhetoric and in teaching phrases um, or pitching it, or are they expressing it in behaviors and outcomes? Okay. And the same thing with their example. Um, I listen for um, problem action result, PAR. Mm-hmm. So,
so when I have a coach tell me about a problem that our team had, what were the actions they took, and what was the result? I don't set up that format for them. I'm looking to see if that's how they present it to me. Okay. Because a, a good coach would, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Here's what the team is struggling with. Here's the actions I had them take. This was the result. Okay. Um, so we we talked about, remember, discernment, causality, right? Right. And transparency. That falls into that. Can they determine what the problem was? Causality. Do they understand what actions need to be taken to solve it? Mm-hmm. Result. Transparency. Right. That's a good model. Um, and, and it sounds like, you know, the role of coach, that it's really not for for newcomers that experience and Agile and, and Scrum are are really important, right? Right, because they'll have a really hard time being able to, if they don't understand the Agile principles and, and why we do things, they'll mm-hmm. have a really hard time explaining that to others mm-hmm. and helping others understand it. Um, and that's another thing to listen for in the interview, too, is do they, ba- do they understand the Agile basics? Do they understand what Agile means? You know, I can't tell you how many times I've been, you know, and I have clients who have me interview candidates for them all the time. And I can't tell you how many don't understand what agile means. They think it means you're flexible. (laughs) And as we all know, there is a certain rigidity to agile if you, because it's all about behavior and outcomes. Yes. And so if you're, if you're just about putting labels on things, you're not agile and that's not agile, right? Right. Um, if you don't, like, for instance, if a single scrum team cannot complete a user story all by themselves, that's not agile. Right. There, there are certain things that we look at and we go, no, uh, uh-uh, no, we're not going to be flexible on that. Right. And and if someone doesn't understand when you're interviewing them what those things are, then you don't want to bring them into your organization. Right. Yeah, it's funny because um, a lot of times I'll Google the word agile and I get stuff about gymnastics that comes back. So <laughs> <laughs> I totally get that. So what does a coach do on, on any given day that differentiates him or her from, from the rest of the team? I think a lot of it is, um, you know, we look at, let's start with what is the day in the life of an average coach. Okay. Um, in the mornings, most stand-ups are in the morning. Right. So a coach will either be listening in um, on the phone or in person. Um, there is an advantage to both, by the way. Mm-hmm. We can go, I usually do both. Hmm. Okay. Um. Because you will hear different things when you're focused on just listening and the conversation. Uh-huh. Visuals can be very distracting. At the same time, the visuals can add a lot of context and information. So that's why I like to do both. I want to see the body language of the team. I want to see the looks that they pass each other. You know, I want to yeah. see those things. I want to see how often, like if they're doing Kanban, I want to see how often each person during their stand-up goes up to the board. You know, that's very telling. Yeah. Because if they don't ever go up to the board, they just talk to it, 
then they don't, excuse me, they're not feeling ownership of that board. Right. Right. That's not their Kanban board, right? So, you you know, those are the things you, you can only observe. But then there's a certain dynamic, and anybody who's ever been, uh, you know, worked and worked and worked with a you know, group of people in the office, always face-to-face meetings, and then for some reason you're working from home on a day, and you're like, whoa, the dynamic is so different on the phone. Oh, without a doubt. Right? That's happened to all of us. And that can be a very powerful tool for a coach. Yes. Um, and they'll forget you're there, by the way. If you say nothing, you just stay on mute. They totally forget that the, they even opened up a conference line. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when they're not used to doing it. Um, so that's usually the morning as you're doing, you're listening and you're, or you're observing stand-ups. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point during the day, you're doing your own stand-up with the other coaches. And... You should be, as coaches, working on your immediate short-term things for your individual teams. Mm-hmm. You should also have a larger strategic plan that you're working on for all the teams that you're coaching. Um, and usually you will have certain things that you want to build on. So I told you about the example of a team of coaches I was working with. Mm-hmm. I had stronger Kanban. He had stronger XP. Um, there were other coaches on that team. And we worked as a whole to make sure that we had consistent use of language and terminology, mm-hmm. which did not exist before we were brought in, um, and consistent practices. You should have seen the stand-ups. They were all over the place. Huh. Um, <laughs> there was one team, their stand-up was an hour and a half. Oh, man. Yeah. Not a stand-up. Um, <laughs> you know, a long there were time things to like that. Yeah. Um, and so coaches together will, will have their own backlog. And this is where I said, if you're a coach, you need to be agile yourself. Mm-hmm. So the coaching team will often have their own backlog that they're working with. They'll often have their own Kanban board that they're, they can show to everybody, this is what we're working on and this is the progress of everything that we're working on. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times coaches will be right doing assessments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mentioned that earlier. You go and observe a team for a few days and mm-hmm. you do an assessment and then you work with that team to put together an action plan. Um, sometimes you'll get called in ad hoc. We're really struggling with this. We don't know how to solve this problem. Can you come in and meet this? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's a very busy day. Boy, it sounds like it. For coaches, right? It's, yeah. They're spending a lot of time with the teams and then oftentimes you'll get pulled in um, Depending on the type of coach, you may get pulled in to an executive or a leader. Um, I've had this a lot where leaders are like, we're going through this transition, and I don't know how to lead my people anymore. Oh. I used to manage their work and manage them, but now I don't do that. That's all done by the team. What do I do now? You know, and so you, you, you'll get pulled into those kind of conversations. Some coaches will get pulled into those kind of, kind of conversations, too. And also the same thing with stakeholders. Right. You know, working with particular people in the role, like the product owner, manages a lot of stakeholders, all the business people. Yes. So as a coach, a lot of times you've got a new PO, you're going to be working with that person one-on-one, going to stakeholder meetings with them, things like that, and helping them learn their job Mm -hmm. and, and helping them 
learn how to coach their stakeholders, mm-hmm. right? right? And you'll spend a lot of time as a scrum master helping them coach the team because, like I said, they still coach the team, the scrum master, right? Right? They're just not officially a coach because okay. a coach sits outside the team. So there's a distinction between the levels of behavior. Sure. Um, so working with the scrum master to help them continue to master scrum, right, mm-hmm. and get better and better at whatever your agile practices that team does, because mm-hmm. you're still a scrum master if you're Kanban or XP or Lean. It may have a different title. Mm-hmm. Sometimes organizations change the title. It doesn't matter. You're still going to have that person who's in charge of the process. Mm-hmm. and making sure the team does the process well. And the coach spends time with them, often mentoring them, not just coaching them, so one-on-one time too. Right. Right? right. And, and, you know, a lot of things, it's, it's a very busy day <laughs> being a coach. Yeah. Very exciting, and it's a lot of fun. It but it is like an it, easy work. It sounds like it would be... Extremely challenging, but it also sounds like it could be also be very rewarding. And yes, yeah. So, all right. So, with the time we've got left, um, give us a few hints, a few tips on who would not be a good candidate for the role of coach, and some experience you've had with with some of the folks who were just bad coaches. Right. Um, anyone who who's got a kind of a command and control uh, approach to work. Mm-hmm. So remember that egolessness? Yes. And you can't make people do things? That's exactly right. Right? So the, being commanding and controlling would be an anti-pattern okay. for for coaches. It, it would undermine your agile practices. Um, really anyone who is inflexible or rigorous around process and procedure. Mm-hmm. So I've had so many people ask me, so I'll just be transparent, um, why scrum ma- why product project managers and program managers don't make good coaches? Yeah. And it's because to be and it's not and it's not that absolute because people are different. Mm-hmm. Right? I used to be a project manager. Okay. I'm a coach. Um, but often, not exclusively, but often the people who are hired to be project managers and program managers are controlling. Huh. And because they have to be to some degree. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And there's a heavy emphasis on status reports and resource management and an external person managing the work and things like that. All of those are anti-patterns for Agile. Okay. And so that's why project managers are not a natural transition to Scrum Masters. Mm -hmm. That's why program managers are not a natural transition to coaches or release train engineers because they have to consciously, which is what I had to do, mm-hmm. consciously let go of those behaviors that made them successful project managers and program managers mm-hmm. to pick up new behaviors that will help them be successful in Agile. Right. And that's really hard for people 
to do. Yes, I can imagine. And another one that's a challenge, and it's a careful line, like coaches have to have an expertise in Agile. Right. And like I said, most of them will have an expertise expertise on one or two disciplines within Agile. Mm-hmm. But they can't be the expert. Does that make sense? So, Because yeah. then what they wind up doing is imposing their expertise on the team, and the team isn't learning. And the whole point is for the team to learn. So that's where having coaches you know, the positive pattern, the pattern you want to see, right, uh-huh. is coaches who are willing to experiment with teams who are willing to say, okay, well, you want to do this scrum practice differently. Uh-huh. Let's experiment and see how it works out. Right. Notice yeah. I didn't say no. Yeah, that's true. I did, I did notice that. And if it does work for that team, and I and I this is I wish I could remember the exact quote, but Dean Leffingwell has a really good quote about this: uh-huh. that if a practice fulfills the principles and works, then it, then it's the right practice for that team huh. or that organization. And so all we try to do is stay within the principles and look good. And if you have a coach who doesn't really understand the principles or can't live the principles or struggles with the principles, um, that isn't going to work for your organization, right? Right. So people who are Mm rules-driven versus principles-driven, rules-driven folks are going to struggle as coaches. It sounds like And we see that in in the sports world, too. Oh, yeah. All the time. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... But you have to understand the principles, or then we see the other problem we see in college sports, where the coaches have absolutely no respect for the rules or the regulations, mm-hmm. right? Sure. And then they get into trouble <laughs> with the governing <laughs> organizations. So a good good coach understands those principles, understands what works within those principles, um, without getting too rigid and mm-hmm. without getting too chaotic. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Um, There's a lot of nuance in there, so. Yeah, a lot of very subtle nuance. And, um, you know, like uh, like you were telling us, this is something that, you know, requires a lot of, uh, a lot of experience with Agile and Scrum. But you had mentioned about not being present. And um, you have to be very adept at picking up nonverbal communications. And it sounds like, in your experience, you're very attuned to that. And when you weren't in the same room, or maybe not you, but when the coach wasn't in the same room, um, it made a big difference. Sometimes. And that's why I said you want to do both. Because in either way, depending on how we define present, you're present. Uh Just sometimes you don't always want to be physically present. And another reason for that, by the way, is if you're the coach and you're in the room and they can see you, uh-huh. that changes how they behave. Yes. So I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to mention that. One of the things I try to do is um, be a fly on the wall uh-huh. when I'm observing a team, when I'm doing an assessment uh-huh. in particular, uh, especially if it's a team I'm new to. Uh-huh. 
I don't talk, right? I'll introduce myself, tell them why I'm there, and then don't say another word. Right. In trying to physically position myself where I'm not in their natural line of sight. So they're not going to be tempted to turn around, but they'll actually forget that I'm there, but I can still see them. Um, Because I want to, when I'm doing an assessment, I want to... Um, I want to see them in their natural behavior as much as possible. Uh-huh. And I was specifically thinking about a C-suite team uh-huh. that I, I, I've mentioned before on the podcast that I teach ex- executive teams and boards combo. Uh-huh. And uh, this particular executive team had been taught Kanban by a previous consultant and it had been a while, I think at least a year, and they knew they needed a refresher, and they just automatically set me at the table with them. Uh-huh. And I had to find a way to just casually move away from the center and to the edge of the room, and you know, so that they could uh, <clears throat> react with each other more naturally. Right. And I was getting to act, re, observe their real behaviors uh-huh. versus what they were doing for a guest, right? Right. Um, and it was really kind of, it, it, you know, when you get in that situation as a coach, and you're like, oh, crap. <laughs> How do I get away from the table and yeah. not make it obvious that that's what I'm doing because that will disrupt the flow of the conversation. And I don't want to do that. And um I just very casually got up and got some more coffee and just stayed at the edge of the room and did these little experiments. I would stand in one place and then see if they would look at me. Right. And they did. So they moved to another place until they stopped looking at me. Uh-huh. And then I stood there. That's stealthy. Right? Because <laughs> it really is a great, good coach. You need to see them. The way they really behave. Yeah, absolutely. Not the way you do for guests, right? Yep. <laughs> I think exactly we all had right. kind of a mom flashback, right? Yes. Don't behave that way in public, right? You, you That's do right. public in your private. And I really needed to see their private behavior with each other, and I think they got a much better assessment. Yeah, it's not, yeah just being a... Being stealthy and unobtrusive gave you the chance to observe them in their in their native setting. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's that's going to do it for another week on the Guardian podcast. If you've not seen them yet, there are some articles where Rin was quoted that were published lately, and we've got links to them on the website, which of course is www.renmelberg.com. Thank you for listening, and be sure to join us again next week on the Guardian Podcast with Ren Melberg.